to the Embedded Insider's analysis of recent industry acquisitions, Stacy Higginbotham, a tech industry expert and editor of the eponymous Stacy on IoT blog, joins Brandon and Rich to further the discussion about the ARM NVIDIA deal. Wait, what did NVIDIA buy? Or better yet, what didn't they buy? Why didn't they acquire the entire ARM portfolio? And where is the rest of it now? After, Jim McGregor returns to analyze AMD's acquisition of programmable logic supplier Xilinx. He also provides some analogs to Intel's purchase of Altera. Later, Rich puts him on the spot. In two years, will the Xilinx AMD deal be a good one? Listen to find out. Welcome to the Embedded Insiders. I'm Brandon Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded Computing Design, here with Rich Nass, the Executive Vice President and Brand Director of Embedded Computing Design. And today we might be the IoT Insiders because we have on Stacy Higginbotham, who is of the eponymous Stacy on IoT. How are you doing, Stacy? I am doing really well. Thank you, Brandon. Very good. So we've been talking over the past hey, couple exactly. of days. Well, uh, you didn't ask me how I'm doing. Well, no one cares. Um, we've been talking over the last couple of days about the ARM NVIDIA acquisition. And one of the things that sort of flew under the radar, at least both of ours from the initial um, hot take, was that NVIDIA didn't acquire all of the ARM services that we've come to know and love. Uh, you know, Pelion being the big one, uh, Embed uh, being another portion of that. What have you heard? Uh, well, I hadn't heard that. Like you said, I feel like I was asleep on the job. And so my bad. So actually in the deal press release, they had a sentence at the almost towards the end that said the transaction does not include arms IOT services group. And I don't know how I missed it. I'm, I don't know how you missed it. I we all just were thinking, ooh, data centers, ooh, GPUs, exciting. But this is actually a big deal because ARM spent a lot of money putting together these assets. They they bought Treasure Data, they bought things like Sensinode, they bought they bought um, Pelion. Did they buy Pelion? No. I don't know. They bought a lot of things, <laughs> um, and they launched a lot of things. So what's happening? I reached out to ARM just to. I was like, hello, what? What happens to the the IoT services group? And Treasure Data is actually they've hired a banker. They've hired Citibank to sell those assets to someone. But Pelion and some other small items like their Keegan uh, eSIM management product, that's kind of just hanging out. It'll be spun back into SoftBank. They don't have a banker for it, so who knows what happens. It's so just if it's spun back into SoftBank, it'll just die. It'll... Right. It will, it will probably be spent. I mean, there are actual clients of Pelion. I, I've talked to them. They exist and they like the service, but uh, so I don't think it'll just die. But. Well, that, that's so, it's so crazy because as you pointed out, Stacey, ARM spent a lot of time not just acquiring and developing on all of these different uh assets, but also marketing them. I mean, it was just last year at Embedded World, right, Rich, that we were walking around and, and Pelion was a really big deal. That's That was one of the core uh, marketing uh, focuses for ARM there. And they've been pushing this end-to-end -end IoT platform and, you know, tying everything together from the edge to the cloud and all of the different sensor nodes that are going to be um, out there and all integrated together. Uh, so it's it's odd. And the, and the other thing that's, that's very odd to me at least is that 
you know, in, in our conversations with Risk Five and our conversations with ARM, and then obviously when you look out at some of the other IP architectures uh, that have been available over the years, what you what you typically say differentiates a successful one from a one that's not as successful is the software that's around it, the services that are around it, and then the ecosystem that comes up around all of those things. And and now it appears that NVIDIA has purchased basically just the IP. Well, I think there's still tons of software that's going to be part of this. Right. I just don't think so. I mean, there's the software that belongs with the silicon, right? Or the, the IP associated with silicon. And then there's all this ancillary, like, the connectivity management, the cloud stuff, anything that has to do with, you know, that doesn't have to do with silicon. And I don't think ARM was ever a great candidate for those services anyway. It just felt, it felt weird and unnatural. Um, it just, it felt competitive. I mean, like, why would like their clients really want ARM to have a cloud when Qualcomm's going to turn around and try to sell that chip to a company that's going to put it in a device and want to put it on their own cloud and deal with managing it, right? It just, I don't know. It seemed too far removed from what ARM actually does. So it makes sense that they're getting rid of some of that. I, I think some of the products are good. I mean, Pelion, like I said, is people are using it. I don't know very much about Keegan. I don't know if y'all do. No, not actually. I, I really don't. You know, we, we focus down here at the, at the very bottom of the stack. Um, but one thing, and Rich, you can attest to this for sure, is that I think it was a few years ago that a lot of, to Stacy's point, a lot of the ARM partners uh, who were middleware vendors and, and then moving up towards more, of the, more and more of those services were frustrated with ARM for, go, you know, for building out Embed and then the services that they were trying to, trying to layer in on top of that. So maybe this is a, a benefit for NVIDIA that uh, that ecosystem and some of those partners will be able to you know, feel the love again. And I, I mean, do you think NVIDIA really cares all that much about IoT? Like, think about it, like Cortex-M's, I know they're selling a billion of them, right? But like the selling price, on this, it's so nothing to NVIDIA. I, <laughs> I, it's just like if you're making Maseratis and suddenly you're in, you get a bicycle, right? I, that's just got to be what it seems like to them, right? I don't know. I don't know. That's a buttload of bicycles, and you know when you when you're the bean counter, you're you're counting up a lot of bicycles, and you know I I don't think you that could be just written off as being negligible. Um, I, I agreed with, with what you said earlier, you know, about the, the different parts, but I don't understand why NVIDIA wouldn't want that included. Um, you know, it, it is like you say, well, if you leave this stuff off, I'm going to pay you a, a billion less. I mean, it's, it's, it's one big package. Um, just leaving it out there just to hang on the vine and, and die just doesn't make any sense. I would think that they would want to at least attempt to make a go of these other parts. I would think that they probably make more sense divorced from the arm ip and licensing business and and i say that because again i just don't think they fit together naturally and so nvidia might be like it is way more trouble than it's worth to try to sell off these tiny little business units right um and nvidia tends to when they acquire something they usually shut it down if it doesn't work they don't try to resell it um i just think it you know it was easier for it to be taken out it's kind of like the undercarriage wash when you buy your car you're like ah, i don't need that i don't want it if you take it out great and softbank though by actually splitting it up and selling it might be able to get more value from it 
Plus, they need the cash. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I, I'm I'm uh, a little bit confused, and I think it may just be a product of the fact that I've been groomed by arm marketing in this in this direction for so long that now I'm like, no, wait, what? This is crazy talk. Um, but as you point out, it it sort of was crazy talk in, in the first place uh, to think that this you know, IP vendor is going to be start offering all of these services and tie everything together. I agree with Rich though, you know, that is a lot of, of bicycles. And one of the things when you look at NVIDIA's portfolio, they're dominant in certain areas, you know, like let's just take one snapshot. Let's take AI training. Um, you know, if you're training an AI model, you're probably doing it on NVIDIA. Um, so they need to grow their total addressable market. And yeah, obviously you buy ARM, you get the CPU and you can do a whole lot of stuff with these heterogeneous workloads and start making some really compelling architecture or chips for data center type, um, data center type use cases. But also now you have these other, this other class of device that may open the door. Maybe in the future we start getting you know, NVIDIA GPUs that are actually usable out in edge devices. Um, what are you, you talking know, about? The Jetson is a wonderful edge GPU. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. Right. Um, it is very popular actually in the industrial IoT, but it is not edge in the sense that, oh, it is still fat and requires less power. Um, I will say, I wasn't trying to say that NVIDIA is like, I am not excited the M class of processors, right? Or the, the they're not Cortex. Are they Cortex of class? Yep, they're, they're Cortex. They are Cortex, okay. I'm not saying that NVIDIA isn't excited to get the Cortex M processors. Uh, they're even taking and going to work with Mali processors, which is the graphics. Right. Um, they, they talked about that and that makes sense because they're totally different markets and this totally, changes the game for NVIDIA and what they can do. But I do think that their focus and a lot of their innovation is going to be on the data center side. And I also actually think the smart car side is where they're going to see this. They'll use the Cortex-A classes for things like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think ARM's efforts both in the beefy Cortex-A processors, but also their, their focus on the autonomous workloads is going to help NVIDIA there. But I really do think the IoT may just kind of be like, yeah, we do this too. And, yeah. and that's just the, the, the chip side. That's not the software and services side, which again, never made sense. I was just going to say, so, well, maybe the play is um, tongue in cheek that the M-class processors become the gateway drug so that people will start using the other NVIDIA offerings and then NVIDIA can layer its own services on top of all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I don't know. An M-class is, that is not a gateway drug to many things, I guess. From a data, from a data standpoint, it is. If that's okay. the business you want to be in. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And, and I do think, I mean, NVIDIA could do a lot like machine learning at the edge, like actual machine learning on MCUs is a big thing. There are like half a dozen or maybe a dozen startups doing some really wacky stuff there. And, you know, NVIDIA, I know they've always been focused, massive parallelism and massive mm. power but have to be, they've got smart people there. They could move that down. And so, and, and I'm really excited about things like 
Do you remember the Tegra processor from like, okay, it was like 10 or 12 years ago? That thing was amazing. Mm -hmm. Imagine if with ARM, what could NVIDIA do with that elsewhere? Not again for the IoT, but you know, for actually connected devices like cameras or uh, televisions, I don't know, it'd be fun. Last thing is, there's another small elephant in the room is NVIDIA is all about open source in the community and they just added a ton more developers. So it'd be interesting. It will be interesting to see um, if this, of course, all of this comes with a huge if, um, if this all passes regulation and all of those, you know, bureaucratic steps, what sort of uh, recipes we come up with, with all of these different perspectives. Yeah. So what's the over and under on, a year from now, will this deal be done? Uh, Rich, you go first. <laughs> yes, I do think it'll be done in a year. November 2021? <laughs> this year, who knows? Okay. I'll say that it, it will get done, but not in a year. All right. How about you? I think I'm in the, it will get done, but I don't think it'll be done by this time next year. So Fair enough. We'll see. Well, so I got one more for you, being the cynical one in the room. Um, what about the fact that now NVIDIA can say to Altera and Xilinx, sorry, we're not renewing those licenses anymore. Um, Intel and AMD are sort of left holding the bag there um, with, with their futures. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like Intel and AMD have kind of been seeing this happen for a while. They, I mean, it's not like Intel's, I know they'll tell us, but you know they clearly were designing and thinking about a future where their general purpose computing was less relevant. So um, I think it's a possibility. Uh, ARM is a big part of the Xilinx portfolio now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that is true. Yeah. All right, so I'm the only cynic in the room. I no, I, I really don't know. And, and I don't focus very much. I used to focus on the data center and, you know, FPGAs and all of that, but I don't focus on it quite so much anymore. So FPGAs are the world of embedded. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's true. Don't tell Xilinx that. <laughs> or, well, anyway, don't maybe kill we, Maybe we should tell Xilinx. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, well, don't kill everybody's dreams, Rich. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jim McGregor returns to share his analysis of AMD's acquisition of Xilinx. So what do you make of this whole uh, Xilinx AMD thing? I mean, for me, uh, it really gives AMD a nice play into, again, some of those higher performance, you know, maybe data center type applications. Uh, it's, it's almost, it's very reminiscent of when Intel acquired Altera. Um, do you think that's the same play? Uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, it's hard to link the two because Altera was acquired several years ago and Altera wasn't just acquired for the technology, although it was part of Intel's piecemeal, let's create a um, AI solution and buy all these different companies. But also a lot of it was to acquire them as a secure customer because uh, at that time, Intel was late on 14 nanometer and uh, Altera was a big customer and they were considering switching over to TSMC. Matter of fact, they were qualifying wafers at TSMC. So that helped Intel fill out some of their fabs. So that was kind of a critical point for Intel. But 
Altera hasn't performed all that well for Intel, at least not up to their expectations. Um, at the same time, Xilinx has struggled as of late. Some of that's due to some of the China-US dispute issues, but um, it's not necessarily an easy market. I mean, FPGA, FPGAs kind of go through waves sometimes as to how well, where they're being used, how they're being used, and that goes in sync with standards, um, new technology development, you know, kind of these innovation cycles. Um, now, is this a good move for AMD? Well, they get some stuff out of it. They get into markets that they haven't had a lot of success in in the past, like uh, Milero and embedded applications and automotive, uh, wireless. And they also gain a lot of tools and expertise in AI that uh, Xilinx is developing and a whole new customer base. However, if you know the history of AMD, they've gone after some of these segments in the past. And, you know, one year they'll be going after it, the next year they won't. Matter of fact, if you recall, Lisa Sue a couple years ago when AMD was struggling, said that she expected AMD to be over, uh, over 50% of the revenue to come from these other segments outside of PCs and servers or traditional computing. Um, that never happened. And now with the success of Zen, they've kind of backed away from that. So is this kind of a renewed push into there and will it last? That's hard to say. Um, AMD has changed their strategy with personnel, uh, especially with a senior management. So it's hard to say if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you know, some of the acquisitions make sense, you know, like ADI's acquisition of Maxim. You combine the number two and number three analog companies. Um, that makes sense. They're competing directly with TI. Um, but, you know, the ARM NVIDIA deal is a little bit of a stretch, and I would say the Xilinx AMD deal is a little bit even farther of a stretch. We'll have to wait and see. I said on an earlier podcast, if I had a dollar for every time AMD went into embedded, I wouldn't have to work anymore. <laughs> but, uh, I agree. I agree. And they've acquired a lot of different companies to do that, or, or parts of companies to do that, and they've never fully matter of fact i used to be at the motorola computer group and i tried to get them into communications i went to them and said guys i want to use your your chips in my new systems and they looked at me and this granted this was you know 15 years ago they looked at me and said uh, if you have a big enough checkbook i was just like you gotta be kidding me you don't see the opportunity here um so it really depends. Uh, you're right. AMD has not been committed to these markets consistently over the years. Who needs a phone that you carry around with you all the time anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so I want to put you on the spot. Uh, fast forward two years. Is the AMD Xilinx deal a good one or not? Wow, you are putting me on the spot. Um, you know, there there is one thing, one factor we haven't talked about, and that is changes to Moore's Law and the fact that because Moore's Law is slowing down, so Moore's Law is going from millimeters squared to millimeters cubed, you have to put more in a tighter space. Um, if they can leverage the Xilinx expertise and the Xilinx technology, not only for computing, but also for AI and for all these other applications, um, it would be a good deal. But that means they need to continue to invest in Xilinx and they need to be able to leverage the technology, I would say, within the first year. Where does this leave Intel, all of this? 
you know, Intel has a pretty big war chest and they've acquired a lot of different companies, especially for AI and data center. Um, Intel's biggest opportunity to grow still is in the data center and networking, especially networking because they don't have, uh, that's still a fragmented market. And the network's changing drastically with wireless networks, with AI, with pushing information out into the network and into the edge. Those are all great opportunities for Intel to grow in. Uh, so Intel still has a huge opportunity and if they can still manage to leverage their core competencies, which obviously is their manufacturing expertise and silicon expertise, their Intel architecture, um, and their marketing reach, um, they're still going to be successful. Uh, the market's still growing so fast that there's plenty of room for Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, and all these guys to be successful. Um, I think really we're not... Uh, the biggest market inflection we're going to see that impacts these traditional guys is when we have to switch off of traditional silicon architectures. Whether that's to, uh, you know, you see a lot of these in AI right now, optical computing, analog computing, neuromorphic computing, quantum computing. You know, if these guys aren't leaders when it comes to switching off the standard von Neumann architectures and standard silicon technology, that's when they have to be worried. That's great. So what's next? Uh, Want to make any predictions of the next big acquisition we're going to see? Oh man, that's a hard one. Um, if it was easy, you know, I was kind of, I'd be on somebody else's podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be easy. Um, you know, I, I, uh, automotive has had a bit of a reprieve as of late because of obviously COVID-19, but I think that that's going to pull in some of the market inflection points for autonomous vehicles and electrified vehicles. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some, uh, some additional acquisitions around automotive over the next 18 months. But I think the biggest areas for gain right now would be in RF. So I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see some additional acquisitions or mergers around RF, such as maybe a Corvo and Skyworks, something like that. Um, or uh, if we, uh, I would expect to see something around sensors. On Semiconductor has been trying to acquire sensor technology, um, but it's still very fragmented out there. And sensor technology is really becoming critical. So I would expect, I'm almost surprised that we haven't seen maybe somebody like Qualcomm or NXP go after a lot more sensor uh, technology, sensor companies. Um, that's a good opportunity for both of those companies, whether for the embedded side, industrial side, or for the mobile side. Um, and also, I think we're going to see more around AI. Now, most of the acquisitions in AI have been software related. The only company that's actually acquired on the hardware side has been Intel. You know, whether it's, Mo they've acquired Movidius, Altera, uh, Habana, you know, all these different entities on the hardware side, but they're the only ones. I think we're going to see as a lot of these uh, startups get closer to silicon or actually proving their technologies out, we'll see some of them get acquired and it will be by the big guys. It will be by AMD. It will be by Qualcomm. It will be by Intel, NVIDIA. Um, I think we'll see more acquisitions around there over the next uh, 18 to 24 months too. Thanks for listening to this edition of Embedded Insiders. For daily industry news, videos, and podcasts, visit our website, embeddedcomputing.com. <laughs>